welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Today I'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, from verses 35 to 39. God's word is perfect, reviving our souls. God's word is sweet, sweeter than the honey in the honeycomb. God's word is precious, even more precious than gold. So when I finish reading God's word to us, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And please respond by saying, thanks be to God. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Faith. Thank you very much. And um, thank you for bringing a Bible to the pulpit. I don't, I don't remember the last time I saw that in this, in this place, right? Okay, a physical Bible. So, sub-received, Faith, sub-received. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, you're really uh, welcome everyone to church, uh, but in particular, if it, this is your first time, we are so, so, so glad to have you, and we do pray that. Uh, well, we hope the, the service has been a blessing up until now, and we pray that the rest of the service will continue to be a blessing. Um, so my name is Femi, as I said, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and it's my job to bring us the Word of God from a mini-series within a series. So we are doing a series in the book of Mark, Mark 1 to 4, but then we're just doing a small mini-series in this particular passage. And I ask that we just lift our um, hearts to God to pray. In particular, can I ask that you pray for me? Um, found it really difficult preparing for this sermon and because um, I really do believe that God is addressing specific issues in our lives. And so it's a, it's a form of warfare. And even as I stand before you, I have to deal, contend with a lot of things. But my identity is not in my preaching a good self. Because if I think in that way, then I would stop the life of God from flowing onto us. So Lord, I pray that your people will not hear a voice the voice of Femi, that they will hear your voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and they know it. Father, I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal the truth about Jesus Christ to your people. 
And I pray that you use me as a vessel, as an oracle, Lord, not as a hindrance. As Paul said, for we preach not ourselves, but we preach Jesus as Lord. So Jesus, come. Come in the power of your spirit to my heart and to the heart of everyone here. Let there be a true change that is brought, a lasting change that is wrought as a result of this sermon and this service. In your name we pray. Amen. Great. All right. So, last week we spoke about seeing God, but we spoke about some of the things that are stopping us from seeing God. We spoke about this thing called hurried sickness. Hurried sickness. And many of us went back home thanking God that we didn't suffer from hurried sickness. Right? All right. And so, you know, it was a bit of serving of breakfast kind of um, uh, uh, service. But we realized that what ultimately we need is to see God. If we see God, we see reality. And as we're told, even during the week, if you don't see Jesus, you will see Shege. But you know, seeing reality is, as we said, the way we get back into reality. But today we want to further dig in. Dig into how we should incorporate, because one of the things we spoke about last week was that Jesus incorporated a life of solitude. So how do we incorporate it and how do we get the benefits of this? Because the effects of solitude in our life, we're going to see, has inner and outer dimensions. And we'll see that this week and next week. But I do want to read that scripture again that I said controls particularly the entire Mark chapter 1, but the entire book of Mark. It's in Mark 1, 14 to 15. It says, after, Jesus was, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That's the gospel. And you see the connection between the gospel and the kingdom is the good news is the good news about the kingdom that is coming. So, verse 15 says, the time has come. This is what he proclaimed. And he, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You enter into the kingdom by believing the good news about the kingdom. Maybe I should say this thing about the kingdom. Um, I can spend three days talking about the theology of the kingdom, but I can put it in just a few sentences here. Note this about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. It's not fully here. The kingdom of God has come. Now, if the kingdom of God is coming and the kingdom of God has come, then the kingdom of God is growing. Can you say that with me? The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come. And therefore, the kingdom of God is growing. Jesus said it's like a mustard seed when it was planted and eventually it will grow and become the largest of all trees. And so, in his death and resurrection, the kingdom is already established. But there is a point where the kingdom's effect and rule and reign will be all over the earth. The Bible says that knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That time hasn't come. But though the kingdom has come and it has been planted, it's going to continue growing. Now, here is this. If you're a Christian and you are in the kingdom, what does that mean? It's not just that the kingdom is going to grow in the world with more people entering into the kingdom. That's one aspect of the growth of the kingdom. The other aspect of the growth of the kingdom is that you, who is in the kingdom, the effect and the rule of the kingdom increases in your life. Are we following? And so we are in the kingdom, but we enter the kingdom from another kingdom, 
we had an accent. Have you ever seen somebody move from Nigeria at the age of 28 and they go to the UK and after two months, they start speaking with an accent, a British accent that you are wondering, is this really a British accent? And that's really us. We enter into Christ's kingdom. We are truly there. We are citizens. We got the PR. In fact, we got better than the PR. We got the green card. In fact, better than the green card. Because we got, we got the passport. But now the accent is still like the accent of the kingdom of man. And so what happens is that the rule, the, the, the character of the kingdom of God is meant to grow in us. We start to change our accent gradually. Amen. And so part of how that happens, I said, is the basic premise for this mini-series is this. Put out the, the, the quote there. For, the, for citizens of the kingdom to better experience the blessings of the kingdom and further spread the frontiers of the kingdom, they must follow the way of the king who is Jesus. So if we're going to see the kingdom's rule and reign increase in our lives, we must not just believe in Jesus, we must follow the way of Jesus. And what we saw is that Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was dark, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so I want us to enter into this sermon. I've said it's called Rhythmic Reality, and I'll explain why. Because incorporating a life of, rhythmic, of, of rhythms in our lives, right life-giving rhythms, will enable us to keep the reality of God more before our face and transform us. So maybe I'll start with this. We see Jesus in a solitary place. You know, in this verse 35, this is actually not the first time in the book of Mark where he's in a solitary place, or in that word. You see, the word solitary place can be translated in Greek, Eremos. But that's not the first time Eremos is used. In fact, we've already encountered it in verse 12 and verse 13. At once the Spirit sent him into the Eremos, the wilderness, or the solitary place. And verse 13 again, it says, and he was in the Eremos 40 days. Why did he go there? To be tempted of the devil. Now, we don't have the details of the temptation of Jesus in the, uh, by the devil in Mark, we just know that he went there and he prevailed. But in Matthew, it gives us a bit of an extension. I want to quickly notice one way that Satan actually tempted Jesus. It was on a very crucial issue. In Matthew 4, verse 6, he says this. I'm not going to tell you the temptation. I just want to show you how it starts. He says, if you are the son of God. Stop. He's going to tell him to do something, but he's testing him where? On the issue of his identity. If you are the son of God. He had just been baptized in the Jordan River and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. But if you are the son of God, an issue of identity. Now we know Jesus prevailed, but can I tell you that oftentimes if we go into the place of solitude where you are going to be tested and we are meant to prevail is in the issue of our identity. Identity is a big issue. The reason why we are hurried in our inner life, many times why we feel anxiety, is actually rooted to issues that we have with our identity. Talk to your neighbor and say, issues of anxiety are often first issues of identity. Now, I'm going to try to explain that a little bit by us considering someone that is very familiar in the Bible, he's familiar with the identity issues, familiar with solitary places, and he's familiar with a lot of things, anxiety and all that. You know his name? His name is Moses. <laughs> Moses. So I want to quickly read Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, uh, 15. Exodus 2, 11 to 15. 
One day, after Moses had grown up, and we'll come back to that phrase, after he'd grown up, he went out to where his own people were. Notice, he went out to go and meet his own people. Where? And watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one in the, the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have, be- what I did must have become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by the well. Question, how did Moses get to the point where because he's seen somebody beat someone, that he now goes and kills someone? I mean, some of us here, you know, this is Lagos, you see people often trying to fight. I go beat you, I go beat you, I go beat you, and then you realize, ah, the one that's trying, that's beating or pressing the other one is an, is, a, is an Igbo guy. And you, you're a Yoruba person. Even if you want to side with your kinsman, how many of you have thought of killing the person? Just because there was no one there. How did Moses get to this point where he just killed the person? Now, it starts in verse 11. Notice it, verse 11 introduces this story by saying, when he had grown up. Stop. Well, we can't just enter to where he had grown up. What were the conditions under which he grew up? Because that is a big thing. And we are told in verses 1 to 10, Moses did not have an ordinary kind of growing up. Moses grew up in a very, I would say, traumatic, under traumatic circumstances. First of all, he was born at a time that was not safe for children to live. I hope we know that. They were killing all the young boys that were born of Hebrews. And thereafter, he was somehow... Taken to his, his, because of that, his own mom abandoned him for good reason, but she abandoned him. Later on, he was now united with his biological family. And so he grew up with his biological family, but then he was now reunited with his adoptive Egyptian family. So what was happening with Moses? At first, Moses grew up somewhat poor, then he now grew up in a palace. Moses grew up with uh, 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 um, um, uh, worshipping a particular god, the god of the Hebrews, and then later he was now worshipping pagan gods. Moses grew up with his biological family and then adopted family. Moses grew up as a Hebrew first, then he now grew up as an Egyptian. Moses was in between both worlds and guess what? He could never fit into any of them. He was an insider, but he was actually an outsider. Are you following me? He had a split kind of Growing up, and so he wanted to feel among his Hebrews. He went out to go and meet his own people. And yet, he was being talked by these Egyptians. And at the end of the day, when all of this happened, what happened? He was not part of either of them. Why? Because he was rejected by the Hebrews, and now he's running away from the Egyptians. Best of life. An issue of identity. And many of us... We also suffer from identity issues because, you see, Moses trying to figure out who really am I? What is my place in this world? Is because when we figure out who we are, we can direct that to our purpose. And when we realize what our purpose is in life, when we feel that we are valuable, but when we don't know who we are, we don't really know who we are, what we are called to, eventually we ask, am I even valuable in this world? And this has to drive anxiety in our lives. So I don't know, many of us are asking the question, why was I born to that family? Why did I go to this school? Why am I still in this country? Why, who am I really? 
What value do I bring? And this is driving a lot of the anxiety. Turn to your neighbor and say, anxiety issues are often first identity issues. Now, here's the thing. We often don't deal with them. What we do is that we develop what we call coping mechanisms for these issues. And quite often our coping mechanisms are inadequate. But we just keep them there and they are there. And I have a feeling, in fact, not have a feeling, I'm almost sure that Moses developed coping mechanisms for his identity issues. How was he doing it? There was angst that was growing in Moses, not feeling satisfied. So what did Moses do? He started to suppress it, suppress it. He wouldn't deal with it. And so the angst was becoming anger, 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 growing, 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 until one day he saw somebody oppressing his people. It wasn't about the person oppressing his people. It was about what Moses was going through. And the thing exploded. And now Moses is in trouble. And sometimes this is what it is like. Our anxiety issues is growing and growing. It's like a volcano. One day it's going to erupt. We don't deal with it. See, Moses had a traumatic experience. When we think about our past life and how it shapes us, some people have said that we're shaped by three things, by patterns, by scripts, and by trauma. I'm not going to talk about patterns and scripts today, but let me say a little bit about trauma. By trauma, I mean this, and I'm quoting um, Pastor Rich Viodas in New York. And he says, it's about what was done to us that we did not deserve and what did not happen to us that we deserve. So what happened to us that we did not deserve and what didn't happen to us that we deserve? So for instance, what happened to you that you did not deserve? Some of us, it's abuse that happened to us, any kind of abuse in our, in, 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 growing up. For some of us, it was the loss of a loved one or a loss of something. When you think about those that, the things that um, didn't happen to us, that you felt you deserved. For some of us, it's missed opportunities. Like me, for instance, I wasn't head boy, ever. Still, still shaping me today. Although my first son is head boy right now. Uh-huh, you see. This is how parents live vicariously through our children. But there are traumatic things that shape us. It's not just when it is severe trauma. But there are many things in our lives that shape us by the things that happened to us that we did not deserve and the things that didn't happen to us that we actually believe that we deserve. They happened when we were young, but when we grow up, do you think they just leave? No. Let me give you two examples um, from um, Ruth Haley Barton's book, uh, Strengthening the Soul of Our Leadership. Here's one. A person who has experienced profound loneliness, abandonment, or loss learns to keep busy as a way of avoiding deep feelings that such experiences bring. While staying busy, she is able to maintain a superficial peace. However, over time, it becomes obvious that she's unable to stay in the room and deal honestly and rigorously with the most challenging issues that need to be faced. I'm not going to counsel some of you that are dealing with this. Busyness is not, I'm just busy. Busyness is a form, is a defense mechanism that doesn't allow you to sit down and deal with the issues that you're dealing with. Can I tell you, if you allow this thing to continue to grow, it will eventually explode. Explode. And many people who have dealt with egregious sin issues, when we got down to it, what was it that was at the heart of it? There are many issues in their lives they refuse to want to deal with and they use business as a cover-up for it. Here's the second one. 
A person who has lived with significant emotional or physical deprivation in childhood may have developed, listen to this, may have developed a scarcity mentality that causes him to be stingy and ungenerous. You know, some people are famous for saying, I will never be poor again. Some people is like, so that I will never be poor again, I'm going to hold this money. And it says this, the emptiness, and this one is the one that really caught me, the emptiness in this person that he has experienced may also, may also result in narcissistic tendencies which are expressed in an insatiable need to be in the limelight or to be associated with a person or an organization that is in the limelight. I imagine that some people, some people that always want to interject themselves, that always want to know, let allow people to know they're in the room and always want to be at the center of attention. Or if they don't have the gifts to be able to do that, they always want to be around the people that do that. When you think about artists and you think about their friends, they're always around them. Are you one of the posse? Because of deprivation in the childhood, a certain level of affection. Eventually, people around them get tired of this. But do you see how all these different experiences in our past start to shape us? Again, I said, you don't have to be severe. You know, that was what I'm trying to tell you. I told someone in the office today, I said, we are all not well. We are all not well. Because we've not dealt with it. And if we don't deal with it like Moses, eventually, it is going to explode within us and it is going to explode upon us or on others. But God will help us. And God is here to help. Because God did help Moses. You see, I'm going to read verse 15 and 17 again. Uh, verse 15 again and 16 and 17. Let me read uh, two, Exodus 2, 15 17. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to, to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Notice what has happened. Moses, at this point, sees some people oppressing another group of people. But this time, Moses does rescue, but he doesn't have to kill someone to rescue. He uses his power, but now he's done it in a restrained way. What has happened to Moses? Let me tell you. When Moses fled from Pharaoh, yes, it's true, he was fleeing from Pharaoh, but God was orchestrating it. Because on the journey from Egypt to Midian, for the first time really in his life, Moses was truly now alone. And as he's walking through the desert, as he's going through, he's thinking about his experience. He's thinking about how he killed that person. I shouldn't have killed that person. And in that time, God was finally able to speak to Moses. He had fled and he was away from all the people that he knew, all the sounds that he knew. And now finally, God was able to show him himself. Such that by the time, the next time he had the ability to be able to also stop people from oppressing someone, it now didn't explode. He used it in a restrained way. Listen, we are disciples of Jesus. We are always going to be faced with it. God gives us ability in the spirit. In fact, Jesus delegated some power to his apostles. And he told them to go and preach. And later they realized that they entered into a place and then the people rejected them. He said, Lord, can we call down fire? Fire, holy fire to burn them like Elijah did. Jesus rebuked them. This is Luke 9.55. He rebuked them. Then he added, some manuscripts have that, had that he added this thing. He turned to them. He rebuked them. And you know what he said? 
And he said, you don't realize what your hearts are like. That's the thing. Many times, guys, we don't know what we are like. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can what? Know it. We don't really know what we are like. In Ephesians 2, uh, verse uh, 4, uh, 4 verse 20, uh, 24, this is what Paul says. He says, as Christians, this is how we grow. He says, you are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being uh, corrupted by deceitful, deceitful desires. Verse 23, to be, made in the, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So here's what Christian maturity is. Put on, verse 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Listen to me. What is Christian maturity? It's very simple. Put off your old self, put on your new self. Because what does it say old self and new self? If you've come into Christ, you have a new identity and the new identity is made up of two things. A new status and new life. New status in Christ. You who were once called a sinner, you are now called a saint. You who were once um, a slave, you are now called a freed person. You who were once bought by Satan, you are now bought by Christ. You have a new identity. You who are condemned, you are now justified. Are you following me? New status. But it's not just a new status, it's a new life. He gives you new life in the spirit. So there is something new, but there is something old. And you say, if I am new, then what's up with the old? Oh, you are no longer under the jurisdiction of the old, but the old is still present. Are you following? And as long as it is present, it is still exerting influence and power over you. So the growth in Christian maturity is put on the new self and then put off the old self. But you cannot put off what you don't know. And the problem is because we don't know this over and over again, it's still exerting influence over us and this is building our anxiety. And so we are left with the immortal words of one of the greatest thinkers and one of the greatest writers and greatest authors of all time. Ice Cube. Ice Cube said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Actually, I said a little bit better. I said, check, check yourself before you recognize You know what I'm saying. We're in church. We're in church. Hey, stop. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Moses hadn't checked himself. And he almost wrecked himself. And so the question is, how well do you know yourself? Well, I have a survey. Well, it is, but we're not going to take any scores. Again, Ruth Haley Barton, if you've heard me call her name a number of times, that means you should go and buy her books. She will help you a lot. But she gives 10 signs that you are living too fast through life. 10 signs of a hurried life that is actually injuring us. 10 signs of living a life that doesn't enable you to see who you are. So we're here. We're going to help you see who you are. What are 10 signs? First one, irritability. Irritability is when you are quick to jump on people. Quick to... You're you somewhat always on the edge. People are always, you know, on the edge around you. I'd be like, nobody is. That's proof that they are. Quick to take offense easily. Now, quickly. If you go and ask the people that you work with, the people, your, your, your subordinates, you know what they'll say to you? You're, never, you're not irritable now. Eh? Because you are, you, are, you are dealing with the appraisal. The best person to ask, or the best set of people to ask whether you are an irritable person are the people that are most familiar with you. Ask your spouse. And when you ask your spouse, don't ask in a threatening way. They will know. Your kids, maybe your peers, are you irritable? Second one, hypersensitivity. It's very related to the first one, but it takes very little to make you 
hurt, it, it takes very little to hurt your feelings. Then your feelings again. It takes very little to get you mad. It takes very little to get you moody. Everything is going up and down. We're all having a good time. And then somebody says something about, ah, people are gaining too much weight. And that's the end. For the next two weeks, I felt, I, I felt it. I felt it. I felt like you were attacking me. I felt attacked. Third, restlessness. Restlessness is when you decide to take a break. When you actually decide to take a break, you actually can rest. You find yourself, I have to do something. I have to pack this. I have to do that. I have to, do, I have to check my phone. I have to, you know, uh, maybe just work again. Or, or, or I can't even breathe well. Well, that's one of you, they told you to breathe last week. You're like, what is this breathing thing? At times of retreat and rest, we cannot really rest. Compulsive working is also number four, which is actually related to this. Compulsive working is you just can't stop working. You can't stop working. You yet add another hour to being at work. Your boss did not tell you to leave. Uh, told you you can't go, but he said, no, I have to still do this thing. After you finish doing everything you want to do, you know what you do? You say, ah, I need to prepare for next week. They taught us in church that we need to be planners. So now you're not adding. You are creating work for yourself. Number five, this one is very, very severe. Emotional numbness. I spoke about it a little bit last week. Emotional numbness is losing the capacity to be able to feel a wide range of emotions. Losing the capacity to feel a wide range of emotions. So you have a very narrow bandwidth for emotions. And when you have a narrow bandwidth for emotions, you are only feeling the barest of emotions. And the two barest emotions are what? Anger and anxiety. I've said this before. Um, um, and so you can't feel things like awe, wonder. You can't feel things like compassion, empathy. You can't feel things like, so you look at what's happening in Syria. And you're like, ah, it's 5,000. Ah, can you imagine it's 8,000 now? Ha, have you seen it's 10,000 now? What? We're talking about human beings here. So we lose that sense of being able to feel this. You don't feel gratitude again. I've shared this here before. Apologies if you heard it. That my wife and I had a friend. We called, let's call her Buki. We called Buki on her, uh, on her birthday. And Buki is, she complains a lot. Just complains, complains, complains. So to this birthday, we said we're going to catch her. We're going to catch her. Because it's her birthday. So Buki, I want to pray for you. What are you thankful for? Ah, you know, at this age, I've not done it. No, no, okay, okay, okay. Are you saying there's no one thing that you are thankful to God for? We don't catch you. Buki said, no. Not one. Yeah, we, were, we didn't know who to speak first. Now, let me tell you something. The only difference between Buki and many of us is that Buki is honest. You are not. Because you can say, ah, I can, I can, but... When tell somebody, when you say, okay, let's, let's pray. Thanks. You just say, God, thank you for, thank you for everything. Thank you that you are God. And then we say, can't you thank God for life? He said, of course now, of course now. Of course there's life. Can't you thank God for Christ? Ah, ah, of course now. How come you didn't say it? Because you are not actually focusing on it. You lost the wonder and awe of your salvation and the life that you bring. Are you following me? But very immediately, when you want to pray to God, it's about this, about that, about this, about that, about this, about that. Emotional numbness. Let me rush through the others. Escapist behavior. In trying not to, in trying to avoid the reality of life, what do we do? We binge watch on Netflix or Prime or what have you. If those ones are not enough, if you can't find anything that's good, you then go all the way into YouTube. At least it's free there. And if that's not it, there are more worse behaviors. Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's alcohol. Let me tell you, for some of you, it's not really porn or alcohol. Do you know what it is? It's staying out late at night. 
Because as long as you can stay out late at night in a club or something, you don't have to deal with stuff. So by the time it's 3.30 a.m., you just go to back home, you just knock off, and you get back to work again. Escape his behavior. Seven, disconnected from identity and calling. This is the situation where in life now you are just reactive, not proactive. That is, what are you doing with your life? I said, it's just, I don't know. I'm doing this business. They said this one is working. They said that one is this. It's MMM now. No, it's not MMM. It's content creation. No, it's not content creation. Is this that? Somebody calls you, I'm going there. This other person calls you, I'm going there. You've lost a sense of identity and calling. They are just being reactive. Eight, ignoring human needs. Before, the, before the, the creation of the light bulb, people used to sleep about 11.5 hours a day. Fine. All right. Now we have light bulb. But really what we need, everyone will tell you, sleep expert, you need between seven and a half and eight hours a day. Now some of us will say, you don't know my work, you don't know where I live, you don't know all of those things, that I can't do that. Fine. Let me not talk to you. There are some of you that you actually can't do that and you're not doing it. Just even make it seven hours. Sleep, no. Our eating habits, bad. Exercise, nothing. We don't go and check ourselves in doctor, at doctor's place. Okay, if all those are physical, how about the emotional ones? Friendship, friendship. Actually, we run away from things like that. We don't have margin in our life. Everything is filled up. Number nine, hoarding energy. If you get to a point where you are anxious and you have all of these things, then you start to withdraw your energy from giving to people. Confession time. I've dealt with this. I dealt, I've dealt with this up until even last year. Yes, some of you, I didn't meet with you at the end of last year because I didn't want to meet with you. Because I was just holding energy. Because two years in a row, 2020 and 2021, I, I told the leaders, literally, if I, by the time it goes to August, if I start looking at my calendar, I started getting nervous. I started having palpitations. And so I started moving back. I wasn't living at a, a, a godly pace. And finally, and this is the worst, slippage in our spiritual practices. You see, when we find out when things are not going the way they ought to go, there are life-giving practices that God has given to us. You know it, attending church, reading your Bible, doing all of those things. Now, when we are in a funk, when we are in a difficult place, you know the worst thing? That the things we often should, the things we should go to first are the things that often go away first. Why didn't you come to church? Man, I worked late last night. I traveled in and all of that, so I just decided to take a break. Really? So this is exactly what you're telling me. God gave you massive opportunity to grow in life. And so now, because of the opportunity that God gave you, you're not going to spend time away from God. Turn to your neighbor and say, we are not well. So I don't know how many, or how many, how many, how many of you scored 10 over 10? You won't say, how many of you scored 1 over 10? Yeah, so we are somewhere in the middle. How many of you scored 7, 8? Yeah, all right. That's some honest people here. Honest people. All right, good. You are the, the people that admitted it. You are the ones that are getting healing. The ones that are saying eight, and are saying two, and you are eight. You are you, 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 it's deliverance first. It's deliverance first. So, what do we do? Now, Colossians 3, verse 8 to 10 is very similar to Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. But Colossians 3, 8 gives us some, it comes with a twist that gives us a bit of an insight. It also talks about putting off the old self. But it says that but now you must rid yourself of all of these things, terrible things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and all of that from your lips. Verse 9. It then says, but do not, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with what? So there are practices that enable those things to grow. So what we do is to put off the practices that lead to these kind of things. Those are some of the 10 things I was talking about. 
But the converse is also true. If we have to put on the new self, as it says, which is being renewed in knowledge of God, it also requires certain what? Practices. They are life-destroying practices, but they are life-giving practices. And this is some of what we've been talking about. Let me tell you a few of those practices. I'm not going to talk about all of them. I'm just going to zero in on top. Have you ever heard of something called Sabbath? Taking one day off not to do work. Do you think that is an impossible thing to do in Lagos? Hands up. Hands up. Okay, does your life show that it's an impossible thing to do in Lagos? Hands up. Uh-huh. All right, okay. Again, the honest ones among you, you had once getting healing. May the Lord heal you for your honesty. Uh-huh. Retreat. That's what we did when we were in school, though. We are no longer in school. Prayer walks. Meditative scriptural reading. How about, okay, something very simple. Physical and material decluttering from our lives. That is, your, your wardrobe is too full. And your wardrobe being too full is actually an expression of what is inside you. I say this, and I used to say that it's like a joke, but it's not a joke. If I come to your computer desktop and your computer desktop is full, I know how your drawers and your wardrobe is in your house. And many times I know how your spiritual life also is going. But I want to only focus on two that we started last week. It's on solitude and silence. Because that's what we see from Jesus. So I want to quickly spend time in this. Sorry, time is going, but we have to spend, we are, we're doing a little bit of a lot today. Now notice it says that Jesus early in the morning woke up to pray. This was not one, a one-off in Jesus' life. He woke up to pray in solitude. He says he left the house. God up left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. It's not the first, it's not the only time. So let me give you five other times that Jesus did it. We've already seen one. Mark 1 verse 12, right? Where he says, at one spirit and wilderness, spirit sent him into the wilderness. That's the solitary place, all right? Then we have Luke 6 verse 13. He says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and when he chose the 12 of them, no, Luke 6 13, my references here and yours are not going. I'm just going to read from my own here, all right? Because I don't know what's going on there. Okay, first one, Mark 1 to, 1 to 12. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Second one, Luke 6 uh, verse uh, uh, 13. One of these, they just went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Somebody say night vigil. All right, go on. Then Luke 6, uh, 6 13. Um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat that's Matthew 14, verse 13. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. That's when John the Baptist was killed. Verse four, uh, chapter, uh, Mark 6, verse 46. After leaving them, he went up to a mountainside to pray. Then Mark 14, verse 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane that we read, that we sang today, he says, once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Have you noticed the motion? Jesus withdrew to pray. He withdrew to pray. Now, what Jesus was not doing, it wasn't, this is not loneliness. Because loneliness is about withdrawing to be with yourself. Jesus withdrew so that he could be with someone. He withdrew to what? Pray. And prayer is about being with the Lord. Are we following? So it's about withdrawing, not just withdrawing from people, it is withdrawing for a specific purpose. Withdrawing for the purpose of being. Are we together? And somebody who is very smart among you will say, 
Hey, but why do I have to withdraw from people to be with God? After all, God is everywhere. I can even experience God with people. And I'll say to you, don't be too smart for yourself. Uh, it's because I have the mic. I could have said something else. But don't be too smart. All right? Listen, it's true. God is everywhere. In fact, you didn't even say enough. God can be fully present with everybody, everywhere, at the same time. You know why? God is infinite. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not infinite too. Because we are finite, we can only be, what? Fully present with somebody at a specific time, at a specific place. Are you following? And so when the infinite and the finite, they interact, neither of them loses their, their ability. God, as infinite, can interact with you, but he can interact with everybody because he's infinite. But you cannot be like God. You are finite. And so what we must do, just, just like Jesus, who is God incarnate, Jesus got up early in the morning, specific time. He left the house and went to a solitary place, specific place, and he prayed to be with a specific person. If Jesus, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's more than good enough for you. Amen. Now, but the second thing I want to say about that is this. When you go into solitude, please read yourself of our efficiency and productivity mindset on steroids. Because here's what happens. Say, okay, PF said, we should go into solitude. And when we go into solitude with God, <laughs> something is going to happen. And all of a sudden, I'm just going to see things. I'm going to whatever. So we go in there expecting, and we say, God, I'm here. Nobody's disturbing me. The room is not shaking, though. Like the day of Pentecost. Ah. And next you just say, I know what's up. I know what's up. Carry your phone. Uh, PF. Yeah, what's up? Ah, PF, I'm here with God, though. I've withdrawn from everybody. Nothing is happening. Because if you go in with the mindset of something has to happen, you are treating your relationship with God in the way you should never treat any kind of relationship. You see, there are some people, when, we, when, we, when, when you have children... Right? You know, maybe, maybe you are in a situation where you are far away from your children. I don't advise this, but you are far away from your children for a long time. So you visit maybe every month or you visit every two months or every three months. You know what happens usually? And maybe you are around for a couple of days. What do you want to happen? We have, we have done like three or four days. We are going to go out. We are going to do this. We are going to do that. And you expect magic to happen all of a sudden. For some of us, it is, ah, okay, my boy is 16 now. It's time for us to have the talk. You know the talk. Uh, you don't know the talk. Okay, we're adults here. It's time to have the sex talk. We have to have the sex talk. And so you come, all right. Uh, okay, I'm traveling back today. I say, all right, boy, sit down. So, um, woo. <laughs> how did you come here? How did you get into this life? Say, uh, how did you come here? Say, uh, you called me here. No, no, I'm not stop being too smart. How did you, how did you come to life? How did you come here now? You see me and your mom and you are here. You look like both of us. How did you come here? And the guy's like, I don't know. And then it becomes very awkward. You just say, well, go and ask. If you read this biological book, he'll tell you how you come. All right, let's go. And now you've had the sex talk. It's so awkward when we want to have this talk. It's not because your son, in fact, if he's 16, he already knows about it, by the way. All right? But it's not. The reason why it's awkward, do you know why you want to talk about something sensitive and something intimate without having an intimate relationship with the person? 
And so what happens in relationship? 75 or 80% of relationship is about presence. Presence is an end in itself. Don't make it a utilitarian thing. It's an end in itself. Just being in the presence of something. So God may not speak, but you are in God's presence. You are giving him consent just to say, God, I am here. Presence is an end in itself. But let me tell you something about presence. Even though it's an end in itself, it leads to another end. It leads to closeness. When you spend time with those children, on every single thing, every mundane thing, it is not hard to now bring up that sex talk. It becomes natural. And so, if you give yourself increasingly to solitude with God, let me tell you, you will get close to God. And when you get close to God, it's easier for you to hear God speaking to you. Don't try and game the system. It's God we are talking about here. Amen? Now, the second one I want to speak about is silence. I'll spend a little bit more time on this. Here's how some of our campus theology, let me give you some campus theology. We are created in the image of a speaking God. God is always speaking. In the beginning, when we first heard God, he said, in the beginning, God what? Said. God is speaking. And that's why Christians, we are speaking people. We use our mouths. We sing. We preach. We evangelize. We talk. We confess. We never stop speaking. In fact, your, the destiny of your life is in your speaking because we are created in the image of a speaking God. Have you ever read the Bible and seen how often God is silent? God isn't always speaking. God is silent. Why? And listen to this very, very carefully. It is true. We are created in the image of a speaking God, not in the image of a chatty God. God is not always chatting. And that's why the Bible associates chattiness with a lot of terrible things. I'll give you three of them. One is sin. Two is uh, foolishness. Three is anxiety. Let me give you some passages for that. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 10. Proverbs 19 verse 10. Sin is not ended by multiplying words. Talk, talk, talk. That's why you sinned. Keep it back a little bit. Said, but the prudent hold their tongues. How about another one? Proverbs 17 verse 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep what? In other words, the person that don't ever keep silent is actually, at least it's, even if you are wise, if you keep talking, 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 you are thought to be a what? A fool. The discerning if, but, and discerning if they hold their tongues. And then look at this one from Job 3.26. Job says about his life. He says, I have no peace. I have no rest. I have no turmoil. Why? Because I have no what? Quietness. But probably the most profound scripture on this is it brings it in a theological angle. Right? It's in Habakkuk 2 verse 18 to 19 and 20. It says this about false gods, created gods. If you have a false god and worship a false god, you know what it's going to make you do? It's going to continue to make you to talk, talk, talk. Look at what it says. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes a trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot what? If they can't speak and you need them for something, what's going to happen? Verse 19. So he says, woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Come to life. Now come to life. Answer me, my God. Answer me. Just like the, the prophets of Baal were doing. Baal answers before Elijah. You will talk, talk, talk. They said they were talking from morning till night or to a lifeless stone. Wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? There is no breath in it. Therefore, it cannot talk. And if it cannot talk, then his people must always be talking and living a horrid life over and over and over again. This is contrasted with the True God of all the earth. Verse 20 then says this. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be what? Silent before him. 
there is an appropriate place for silence when the presence of God comes down. Because what then happens in the place of silence? And I'm saying, I'm not saying every time be silent. I'm saying when we have dedicated times for this, what happens? You know what happens? It leads us into two things. Or maybe I should illustrate it with this example. When I was growing up, they often used to supply water to our house. And we also had a well, but when the well was dried up, they would you know, supply water to the house. And here's one thing we knew. So you fed the water, they come fed the water, you put it up in a big um, container in the house, right? Here's what we knew. Because when the water first comes, you look at the color of the water, you be like, ah, nobody can use this water. But we knew a trick. It's a trick of time. You know what we did? Okay, this video will illustrate what we did. Very, very simple. Can you put the video up? See how dirty that water is? It's river water. If you give it enough time, what happens? It starts to work. Settle. You can even see with these pictures as well, right? Eventually, if you give things enough time, you can see the dirty water here. Give it enough time, it starts to become, and then eventually you get here. What happens? The water is now clear. That's, listen, guys, the idols and the, of our age and the horridness of life, it keeps us in a way that our lives are perpetually being shaken. And so the muddiness of our old self is mixed with the, the, the clarity of our new self. And so we cannot really know how we are acting now or what we are acting from. And what we do in the presence of God when we keep silent is to allow the sediments to drop so that there is clarity. Clarity. We can hear him. When we hear him, two things happen. We are able to be examined and we start to be able to examine. We are able to be examined by God and we can start to examine ourselves. We are able to be examined by God. Psalm 139 verse 1 says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me. But then he works with us as Psalm 4 verse 4 tells us. He works with us. He says, tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your heart and be what? Silent. Moses experienced this on his journey to Midian. And even after when he became a shepherd in Midian and he was spending time in the wilderness contemplating, a life of contemplation, eventually Moses came to terms with who he was because he married the daughter of one of, of that Midian uh, 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 priest. Her name is Zipporah. And after nine months, she gave birth to a son. Exodus 2 verse 22 says this. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. It wasn't true. It was already true when he was in the palace of Egypt. The only difference between that time and now is that Moses finally was able to see it and he was able to admit it. Are you able to see what, what God is saying about you in your heart? Are you able to admit it? This is why we must incorporate silence in the place of solitude. Can I tell you, since I've incorporated this into my life, I'm nowhere near perfect or anything. I'm just getting some of the benefits of it. But I'm telling you, I have never felt more, two things, never felt more embarrassed about myself and more liberated as well. I can't lie to you, I've been embarrassed. Because the things that I have realized concerning myself, like, my God, I didn't know this thing was here. There are some things that happened maybe last year. God is bringing them to my mind and saying, you are denying this thing, but you know it is there. You are still angry with this person. You are still mad about this thing. You are still, you are envious about this person. You are jealous about this one. You are this and that. Some of it, I can, 
this was a few weeks ago. Something 19 years ago that my mom and my sisters were telling me that I denied. It was just now I admitted it. Now I say it, it is, it is, it is, it, I, at least I get two benefits from it. The first one is this. The old self that we have, that we are all carrying around, it is weighty. The old self is weighty because it brings all our fears. It brings a lot of sin. And so we are going around. And do you know what it is? When you carry a lot of rocks, can you run? If you carry a lot of rocks on your back, the more we are weighed down by something, the less mobile we are. So we are not as liberated. Whereas it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But if you start to put away the things of the old man, you're able to move further and further away. I love the way someone put it. His name is David Cassidy. He's an author and pastor. David Cassidy puts it this way. He says that once a man was asked, what did you gain by regularly praying to God? The man replied, little. But let me tell you what I lost. Anger, ego, depression, insecurity, and fear of death. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is not gaining, but losing. If you come before God in silence and he starts to show you things, it is there you can now start to drop it. The second benefit of God is, oh my God, the second benefit is the grace of Jesus Christ now feels more real to me. I've had it in my mind, I've had it in my heart, but now I can feel it in my bones. And so when the songwriter says, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds to the believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, it heals his wounds and drives away his fears. I understand that. All of a sudden, it really is more, it tastes better than honey. Because now I am truly saying, it's not the people I'm preaching to that have a problem, it is me. And all of a sudden, with all of these things, Jesus, you mean you still accept me? God, you accept me? How wonderful is the grace of Jesus Christ. That with all of these things, this weight, he doesn't say, look at you, look at this thing. After all of this, you are still carrying this weight. He says, give it to me and I'll give you my grace. Guys, incorporate solitude and silence and experience liberation in Christ. But there's one more thing I need to say about this. It's about rhythm. Or maybe I should say, yeah. If you want to practice this, let me uh, silence. You say, how, how do we do it? Well, I'll say, start with three to five minutes a day. I don't know, maybe it's the first thing you do, or maybe it's not the first thing you do. Brush your teeth, do something, put some scripture, meditation on your mind, and then go and just stay in a place of silence. So what if I get distracted? Don't worry, the grace of Jesus Christ also covers your distractions. Just come back. I say, okay, after a scriptural reading, or maybe you listen to a particular song, what should I then do? you can think about different questions. Here are five questions you can ask yourself. What am I mad about? Then what am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I convicted about? And then what am I glad about? What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I anxious about? What am I convicted about? And then what am I glad about? I want you to just think, just listen to God. Believe me, at some point you start to hear something. God may drop a particular thing in your spirit. Once he starts to drop something, don't run away. Keep it. Think about it. He may drop a particular person. Recently, the Lord dropped Stephen in my, into, into my spirit. And I've just been focusing on the person of Stephen. You can join up for those of us who are into that. And you can do all of this within 15, 20 minutes. You will see massive benefits, I can tell you, if you put the last thing that I'm going to talk about into practice. What is it? It's rhythm. 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 How many of us know that rhythm is important to life? 
Well, if you don't know rhythm is important to life, I can show you somehow. How many of us have ever danced with somebody that did not have rhythm? Sometimes you are the person, actually. That's, that's I remember one time this thing happened to me. It was in my third year in uni. Me and some people, we put a party together. Right? It was, it was, uh, um, it wasn't, it was a um, um, class, class dinner kind of party. For, I, was, I was a good boy. My parents are here, so you know, I have to, before they start saying, that money that I give, no wonder you are broke. No, no, it was. So we put the party together. And so, I remember the date, my date on the party, I brought her, you know, all of that. I was going to give her a good time, you know, everything was going well. I remember we had one guy, one upcoming comedian at the time, said, oh, come and help us do this stuff. You know, he hosted it. It wasn't that great. It was okay. But fine. So the music was playing. Let the music play. Play on, play on. And so we started dancing. Me and my, you know, I was about to say my babe. She wasn't my babe, but maybe hoping that she would become. So we're dancing. But, you know, things weren't going very well for her. I, I lacked some rhythm at that time in my life. I was trying to make the thing work. It didn't really work. And so at some point, I just noticed that a third person came around, entered into the middle. I started dancing, and I thought, surely now she's going to. She started dancing with the guy. It was the useless comedian that we hired, though. Because we are paid him money. I was part of the people that gave him the money. We paid him his money. We talked to him, we interviewed the guy. I have never forgiven the guy about, for, never forgiven. I'm like, this guy, you will never amount to anything. Some people say that they know the guy that is even now popular, that his name is one basket mouth or something. I don't even know. I stopped, I, pra- I don't practice cursing again. I, I can't curse. When the rhythm breaks, something happens. You, they, you feel out of sorts in the dance. But it's not just in the dance. Have you noticed that even our world is built on rhythm. The earth rotates every 24 hours because God has said, as long as the earth remains, day and night, seed time and harvest time will also remain. And so the earth starts in this place and it goes around 24 hours, gets to that same place. 24 hours, gets to that same place. On beat, on beat, on beat, on beat. Even our years, that same earth doesn't just rotate, but the same earth, what, revolves around the sun, 365 and, 20 and a quarter days. It starts in one spot, and after 365 days and 24 days, next place. Same place. Same place. Same place. Whenever you go to the doctor, let's take him more home. They come and they want to see if there is life in someone. What do they feel? They feel for what? A pulse. It's going according to the beat, the beat, the beat, the beat, the beat. We clap to the beat, the beat, the beat. And what happens when the beat goes out? What happens when there's an interjection? What happens when we are no longer in rhythm? All of a sudden, if something comes in that is not going according to rhythm, we call it noise. But it can be more devastating. If Imagine somebody, they're feeling the pulse and all of a sudden it goes out of joint. What does that mean? It means that what the person is about to die because rhythm is life. Rhythm is life. Friends, let me tell you, if you take these practices, a real good spiritual life is to put our spiritual practices on rhythm because rhythm is effort at a life-giving pace. Busyness is effort at a life-destroying pace. And so, there are two ways you can do this in a wrong way. 
first way is this, that you take these practices, but you do it so inconsistently. What happens? You will be shaped by God, but in a very limited way. But there's one that is worse. That is, you don't take these practices, but you take other practices and you actually have a regular rhythm. I'm sorry to say, but some of us, actually, we have rhythm in our lives. You know what the rhythm is? You wake up, in the, uh, you wake up, you sleep and you wake up. And when you wake up, you wake up to your messages, your WhatsApp messages or an email, and then you end your night with Netflix. And the next day comes. Messages, and you finish Netflix, and morning and evening was the first day. What kind of destructive life is that? Choose life, guys. Incorporate the right rhythms into your life and put it on rhythm. Because if you do that, something profound starts to happen to us. You know what that is? Moses eventually puts, he had a certain rhythm in his life where he meets with God. Yes, Moses met with God on the journey to Midian. Moses contemplated his life in the wilderness as the shepherd. But Moses eventually, one of those days... In the wilderness, he actually saw a bush that was burning but was not consumed. He met with God there. After that, Moses met with God on the mountain of Sinai. He met with God on the mountain of Horeb. He was constantly meeting God until one time Moses started to meet with God where? In something called the tent of meeting. And I often said that when Moses met with God and he came out, the glory of the Lord was shining on his face. That is what God wants to do to us. Stephen was said to be full of the Spirit, not filled with the Spirit. Two different things. Full of the Spirit meant he had been filled with the Spirit so many times, he was just now full of the Spirit. So that when they were killing Stephen, you know what they said? His face shone like that of an angel. And when he was crying out to God, he didn't say, God, revenge, avenge, God, avenge, avenge, avenge my enemy. No, that's not what he said. Stephen said, don't hold it against them. What does it take to be in that kind of state? I want it. As they were killing him, he was praying for their forgiveness. That is what God wants to do for us. He wants to glorify us. When God does his own glory, it is not in the image of Moses. It's not in the image of Stephen. You know what? He wants to form Christ. It's all about Christ. So God wants to form Christ in you and you in Christ. Galatians 4.19, my little children in whom I have been in travail up until this time, until Christ is what? Formed in you. But Romans 8 verse 29 tells us that for those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to form Christ in you and form us to Christ. Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3 18, verse 18 says, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. When we are brought to God, then he forms Christ in us and us in Christ. Maybe I can illustrate this finally and we'll close and pray with this. Some people say that Michael, Jeffrey, Jordan is the best basketballer that's ever lived. They are wrong. Just like, I know a lot of those people are people that don't support Arsenal. So, since they were wrong there, they will also be wrong on this one. But let's assume they are right. I actually think that they're only, they're, you don't have the greatest player. They are top three players. LeBron, Kareem, and Michael. But let's say it's Michael. In the, some would say his individual performance was greatest in the 80s. True. But he became a winner in the 90s. But his, his career was defined by the 80s and 90s. But by the time you get to the 90s, he knows how to win now. And there was a whole media fanfare about Jordan. In fact, there was an ad that was done 
about Michael Jordan. It was called Be Like Mike. And so everybody wanted to be like Mike. You know, bald was beautiful. Black was beautiful. One earring was beautiful. Heck, putting your tongue out was even beautiful because we wanted to be like Mike. And so there was the swaggy way of being like Mike. But if you were an aspiring basketballer, you also wanted to play. You wanted to, you know, do the fadeaway jump, uh, jump shot and all the different kinds of things he was doing. But all those players that tried to be like Mike, they were all sorry images of Mike. Because the glory of Michael Jordan was so high and so far above every other player. Their abilities, they, their work ethic, they could not reach to the glory of Michael Jordan. No one could. Until one kid came along. This kid was born in Philadelphia. His father was a basketballer, but he wasn't that great in the U.S. And so eventually the father moved to Italy to go and start playing there. And I think because of the cosmopolitan life that he lived also, he and wife were open to cosmopolitan life. They didn't name their child by a normal English name. They named him by a Japanese name, Kobe. Now, I said he came really like Jordan. And if you want to know how close he was to Jordan, I want to turn the light and put on this video and let's see what it was like. Can we? They are just the standard that's above in all cases. If you electronically switch the uniforms and play that at full speed, you would not have been able to sell Ruler Sue. This man, when you think about Michael Jordan, the closest to get to Michael has been Kobe Bryant. Now we just agree that these guys are like phenomenal players and let's just move on. We gotta, we gotta do the one-on-one battle. We gotta do it. You got close, didn't you? And let me tell you something. No one actually got to that glory like Kobe did. But Kobe was always monstrous. So Michael won 23, Kobe won 24. Michael won six championships, Kobe won five. Right? Michael was worth, uh, Michael is worth billions. Kobe, just before he died, was worth hundreds of millions. He was always one step short. 
Why does it mean that he didn't, very, he didn't get very close? How did he get very close? It was because he watched tapes and tapes and tapes of Michael Jordan. He followed everything that Michael Jordan did. And at some point, in fact, he not just emulated everything he did, he actually even got Michael Jordan's trainer to actually train him. In other words, he followed the way of Michael Jordan and in the tapes, he contemplated Michael Jordan over and over again. And so even though he could not totally be like Michael Jordan, he was very, very close. Listen, guys, this is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. That looks in, he says that if we contemplate, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord that is who is what? The spirit. We may not become a exactly like Jesus Christ now. We may not wear number 23, but I tell you this, if you incorporate all these practices, you may get to number 24. We may not win six championships, but you can win five championships. If you spend the time in solitude, silence, and all the other practices, then all of a sudden, the grace of Christ will not just be in your mind, it will not just be in your heart, it will be in your bones. Don't you want this? God is inviting us. Saying, I won't have brought you to me so that I can make you glorious. Don't use the world's definition of glory. We have a template for glory. His name is Jesus. And through that Jesus, we come into the presence of the Father. And we can say, what do you have for me? I just want to be close to you. I just want to be near you. I just want to be near you. And so now we're going to spend some time doing exactly that. We're going to pray. And this time I want us to, we're going to spend some time in silence. We're going to spend some time contemplating the glory of the Lord. But as the Lord has come to us in his word, we also want him to come to us in this place of prayer. I want you to start to Consider yourselves in the place of silence. Remember what Habakkuk 2 verse 20 says. The Lord is in his holy temple. I'm going to ask us to just shut our eyes. Stay in a position of reflection. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. In the body and the Lord. 
so that you can refresh our souls. You give to all the faithful As we stay in this place, I want us to focus again on our breathing. The reason we focus on our breathing is because quite often we don't focus on the gifts that God gives us. The most basic and fundamental gift is the breath of life. But because we breathe so fast, we don't even acknowledge this gift. When we deep breathe, when we deep, when we breathe deeply, in and out, all of a sudden we are focused on the gift of breathing. And as we focus on that gift, we can focus on the giver. So as you breathe in deeply and you breathe out, thank the Lord who gives you that breath of life. Focus on the Lord who gives that breath of life and has not taken it away from you. Think of the Psalm 23, that our favorite psalm that tells us He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. And He refreshes our souls. Our souls are in need of refreshment. murkiness and so much muddiness, so much anxiety that is distorting so much. And so he brings us to the quiet waters to refresh us. Just breathe in. Breathe out. I firmly believe the Lord is going to do something among us here today because Isaiah 30 tells us in verse 15, he says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, but in quietness and trust is your strength. So as you focus on the Lord, let there be a faith staring in us. In repentance and rest is your salvation, but in quietness and trust is your strength. God is going to give us strength. And as you picture the dirt going to the ground and the water rising, this would be a good time for us to examine ourselves and let ourselves be examined by God. Present yourself on the altar. The song we sang today, we said, leave me on the altar with my father. All right, you are here with him now. Let him examine you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You are familiar with all my ways. Then he asks us in Psalm 19 verse 12, 
people can discern their own errors? Is the Lord pointing some errors to you now that you have refused to acknowledge? That has been pointed to you in many ways, but you refuse to take. Your spouse has pointed to you. Here's the time when you can be deeply honest with him. There's no running away from God. He's already familiar with our ways. Familiar with our ways. But are you going to be honest with it? I want to challenge you in this place. Because of the grace of God, confess that sin to him. Confess the sin to him. Confess the sin to him. But also, what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? Admit it. Don't try and explain it away. What are you mad about? Maybe you've made a decision and you don't think it's the right one. God is big enough to hear our greatest fears. That is the kind of God he is. Psalm 19 goes on to say, the reason why we cast these sins on him, he says, we can then tell him, forgive my hidden faults and keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. We bring our sins before him so that they will not rule over us. He forgives. And even your anxieties, 1 Peter 5 verse 6 tells us, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, come to me all you who are heavy laden and burdened and I will give you rest. As you've put these things before him, as you've put it before him, know that he's giving you his rest. He said he will refresh your soul. He's giving you rest. He's giving you forgiveness. He's giving you rest. He's giving you forgiveness. He's giving you rest. He's giving you forgiveness. And he's transforming you. And so finally, I want us to think about the grace of Jesus. I want us to think about the grace of Jesus as we contemplate the face of Jesus, contemplate the kind of God that we serve. There are other gods who cause their people to be chatty and transform them into images of the gods. But we have a God who was on the cross. We have a God who out of love is on the cross. We have a God who gives us freedom. We all, with all veiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. He's a God who freely gave us freedom. He freely gave his life for us. He surrendered the life on the cross. And he's transforming us into that image. This is our God. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, 
We hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.